We would like to begin this podcast by acknowledging that the land on which we record is the occupied, traditional, and unceded territory of the Stalo First Nation. The bottom line is, it's happening in all of our communities, and it's not what we traditionally would have imagined where there's chains on their hands and tape over their mouth, and, you know, they don't have that freedom. They're people who are in our grocery stores, walking down our streets, in coffee shops with us. But we just suspect because the chains are a lot more, I would say, mental. Welcome to the Ending Poverty Together podcast. I'm Shalane, and we're here to discuss big questions about poverty in bite-sized ways. Jolene McGill was born and raised in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, and is currently the Executive Director at Hope Restored Canada. In 2015, Jolene began working with a team as the co-founder and vice chair to form HRC. Over the past 15 years, Jolene has been educating herself on the issue of sexual exploitation and trafficking. She began meeting with a number of individuals who had courageously endured exploitation and trafficking and felt compelled to assist in creating positive and systemic change for those who had this experience. Jolene stepped into the role of ED in 2019, leading the development and opening of the first home in Saskatchewan for sexually exploited and trafficked people. Jolene, thank you so much for joining us this morning here on the podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me. Mm -hmm. We're going to jump right in and begin with the question that we ask all of our guests this season. So would you please finish the sentence... Poverty is complex because. So as I was reflecting on this, I kind of landed on poverty is complex because of the systems that leave people in vulnerable situations. Mm. Um, We recently did a research study on the three prairie provinces around sexual exploitation and trafficking. And one of the there was a couple of things that really came to the surface, but Some of those things were lack of available healthy food, lack Mm. of safety for, you know, housing and affordable housing, um, lack of transportation, especially when we're talking about from rural to urban communities, Mm. and then also lack of connection to your family of origin. And so those things, I think, create what we see as complex trauma in our communities and in our worlds, and that is deeply rooted in why poverty is so complex and how Mm -hmm. we see this continue to kind of unravel and unfold in our communities. Mm -hmm. I'm hoping as we continue our conversation that we can dig a little deeper into some of those systemic breakdowns that you mentioned, because that does feel very central to this conversation. Before we get to that, though, I think it would be helpful if you give us a brief explanation of your role and your organization. Yeah, so I'm the executive director with Hope Restored Canada, and we are an organization, as mentioned, specifically for those who have been sexually exploited and trafficked. And we really serve the population of Saskatchewan as a whole. We are based in Saskatoon, Mm -hmm. um, but have participants from all across the province and sometimes Canada. And so for myself, I find day to day, I get to do a lot of the fundraising, the education, some of the operational side of things. I also do get the opportunity to be in the home and engage Mm. some of those pieces that we have there. Mm -hmm. Um, So there is minimal frontline things, but lots more on the operational side of the organization and making sure that, yeah, we have some of those pieces in place to be successful in providing the 
the things that our participants are needing. Mm-hmm. What kind of magnitude of sexual trafficking and exploitation is happening in Saskatchewan? I think probably many of us think of Vancouver because it's a port city and Toronto because it's such a huge metropolitan area. Saskatchewan wouldn't necessarily be the first place that comes to my mind with this issue. So can you give us a little bit of history and background into that? Yeah, for sure. So when we're looking at kind of the demographic of Saskatchewan and what we're seeing, I would say we're seeing an increase of trafficking. And definitely, I would say Saskatchewan as a whole, but Saskatoon as well, Mm -hmm. is kind of what we would call a grooming city. So because we have many people from the north that are coming into urban and often, you know, don't know about the supports or don't have healthy connections in the city a safe place to land, Mm -hmm. they become very vulnerable to be picked up by traffickers um, Mm. as well as with some of the other pieces. We also have this very interesting connection to Montreal. And so we have lots of Hmm. people who are coming from Montreal into Saskatoon. And so I find that we often are that kind of grooming place for people to land. And Mm. then they move outward into some of the larger centers that you did mention. However, when we look at, you know, in, I would say, the prairie specifically, some of Mm -hmm. the triangle of trafficking that's happening, Saskatoon is a pretty central place between Calgary, Regina, on your way to Winnipeg. And so we are a stopping point for Mm. many people who are in that movement trail. Okay. So we do see quite a bit. And I would say we also see an increase of especially younger girls who are being Mm -hmm. groomed into the industry and then... Yeah, move to whether it's Winnipeg, Calgary, Toronto, Mm -hmm. other places. Yeah, for further exploitation. I'm wondering if possibly someone listening might not be familiar with the term grooming. Can you explain a little bit what you mean by that? Yeah, so when somebody is looking to exploit another person for the purpose of sexual exploitation, when I'm talking about grooming, This is the point where they're trying to learn about that person and learn about their vulnerabilities and the things that they can use against them to exploit them. So a simple example of this may be um, a really common thing that we see is something called boyfriending. So Mm. they're going to find out what that person desires. Is it a family? Is it a safe, secure place? Is it love and belonging? Is it Sometimes it is around substances and partying and the type of lifestyle that they're looking for. Mm -hmm. Um, So in that grooming phase, they're learning all of those pieces and they're starting to provide those pieces for that individual so that they feel like they have received all the things that they have ever desired Hmm. and then feel very connected and attached. And that person is who is providing what no one else or no other system in the world was able to offer them. So they feel very indebted and connected Hmm. to that individual after that fact. So that would be simple understanding of grooming. Yes, but how insidious that that very basic need that we all have to be loved and to belong and to be cared for is exploited. Yes, yeah, it's and it, you know, even when we look at social media and especially coming out of the pandemic and people in isolation and especially mm. our younger community in isolation, it became a real piece where there was a lot of online, you know, grooming and conversation starting and Mm. trying to build and develop those relationships. Mm -hmm. 
Now, you did mention this home, and you were part of leading the development and opening this first home in Saskatchewan. What's the home environment like? What happens there? Yeah, so we have a safe house. It's based in Saskatoon, Mm -hmm. and it's a six-bedroom home. And from outside onlookers and when you come in, it looks like a house just like yours or mine. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's very much... um, We try to create a homey, safe environment so that people don't feel or experience that they're in a residential type program. Mm. So we always say we're not housing first, we're programming first. And so we're really looking at, you know, what are those long term recovery needs of an individual Mm. who is leaving this type of lifestyle? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we focus on things such as skills training, working through some of the trauma um, building and developing that self-esteem and understanding of self and then individual goal setting of what does that look like for them to work through some of this and where do they want to go from here so those are kind of the four main things that we consider as we put our program together and it's a pretty holistic we do Mm -hmm. many different pieces in Mm -hmm. the program but yeah it's fairly intensive and people can be in it for anywhere from six to 12 months okay it sounds to me like it's a very relational kind of situation Six people can be there at a time. I'm assuming that you have people who are working there and are there are they there 24-7? Yeah, so we are 24-7 staffed just for the nature of mm-hmm. essentially crisis and um, triggers happen at any time. So mm-hmm. we have staff on site 24-7 and during the day we have a caseworker and program director who are running and operating the program okay. for the individuals. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The relational piece, if you've listened at all to our podcast, you know that one of our big themes that we keep coming back to is that poverty is not about a lack of material things only. It's about broken relationships with God, with ourselves, with others, and with creation. Maybe this is kind of a no-brainer question, but I would love if you would speak to how you see broken relationships contributing to the circumstances the people you work with experience. Yeah. So I would say this is a very central piece of Mm. what we see when it comes to sexual exploitation and trafficking. Every person has a desire to feel loved and to feel like they belong and to Mm -hmm. feel like they're part of, you know, a family, a part of being... And so often we find that in people's story, I would say the majority of stories that I've heard, there's some type of break in relationship or um, lack of understanding and or not having any connection to healthy relationship in their past Hmm. that then puts them in this vulnerability to be connected to what I'm going to call these very toxic individuals Mm -hmm. who want to exploit them. And so when we talk about healthy relationships, this is actually something we talk about in classes as well, because Mm. there's a real deficit in understanding what that means and what that looks like Mm -hmm. for for many of the individuals that we look with, that we work with. And often they don't even know what that means. They thought it was normal to be in an abusive relationship where you were hit and talked down to and belittled on a regular basis and so it's almost like retraining your brain to understand Mm -hmm. that you know physical abuse is not normal and not okay right and being called 
names constantly and yelled mm. at is not normal and not okay. And so mm. it's just some of those basic things that many people take for granted in understanding healthy relationships that mm. are so central to being able to set people up for understanding what is the difference between a healthy and an unhealthy relationship. Mm-hmm. This is intense work that you do. I just even listening to what you've said so far, there's so many challenges that come to mind. What what do you say is, I don't want to say the biggest challenge, but what would you say are some of the key challenges that you face in doing this work? Yeah. Um, you know, I think there's challenges that I see that are um, similar between clients that we've worked with. And then there's challenges for me personally. And mm-hmm. um, some of those things that I would say that are common for individuals that we work with, definitely that healthy relationship piece. Mm-hmm. It's not something that changes overnight. And so, mm. you know, we have participants that graduate from program and are doing very well, and they may end up in another really challenging relationship. Mm. And so we get to work with them through some of those things. And so that's definitely an ongoing piece. But I would say for us personally, it's also not all stories end in butterflies and rainbows, right? There is situations where people either relapse or go back into that life. And Mm. so as a person who is in this industry, it's those moments of success that we look to and Mm -hmm. that we say, you know, it's it's the one that we saw that moment with. And that's what we look to for the hope to continue doing the work that we do, because right. not all 100 percent of people that we touch base with are they get to that place where they're mm-hmm. out of that lifestyle and safe. Um, interestingly enough, there's actually a stat that for those who are sexually exploited and trafficked, it takes up to seven times for them to exit and to exit fully from the life. And so. Wow. When we think about that and what we're doing, we're often just one of those touch points for an mm. individual. And sometimes we're that end touch mm-hmm. point. Mm-hmm. And what an encouragement it must be for people to not feel shamed or rejected for having gone back and then wanting to come back out again, but to be able to land in this safe place. Yeah, yeah. And we do. We will have people who will come back into the day program and into the house a couple times before it Mm kind of sticks. We had a young lady who she has tried multiple different programs, actually from across Canada. Mm. And she ended up coming back, I believe it was three times. And for her, it just it it stuck. That was Mm. the time for her. And she you know, she's out of the life. She now has connection with her family and connection back with her daughter. She has a full-time job that she loves, and Mm -hmm. she's really doing quite well in the community on her own, but she is a great example of how it does take a few times and a few stepping stones, and seeds are planted along the way, right, no Mm -hmm. matter where Mm -hmm. you go, and so... Those are the things that we look to and we say that that's hope, right? Right Mm -hmm. there. And that's actually one of the questions that I wanted to ask you is where do you find your hope and your motivation to carry on in something that is so intense and challenging? Mm -hmm. And, And similarly to what I just said, I think the biggest thing for me with that is having those moments of watching individuals flourish and grow. We Right now, we have a young lady that we've known for a lot of years that Mm -hmm. she is in school. She's taking social work. She has a place of her own and she's doing really well in the community. Mm. Recently, 
started actually giving back and being a peer mentor in the Hope Restored community. Wow. Uh, we also have other individuals who have moved on and separated themselves from that lifestyle mm-hmm. and are doing very well, um, whether they're having full-time jobs or and or getting their kids back out of care. Hmm. And so these are the stories that we look at and and they provide that hope to continue and they provide that that I would say in a sense satisfaction that mm-hmm. this work is not for naught mm-hmm. <laughs> and that we do need to keep going and to continue to yeah just be a support and be an advocate that's really what we do mm-hmm. um, our participants are the ones that truly do the really really hard work yes um, we are just the ones that are there to walk alongside and witness mm-hmm. yeah what in their lives. Mm-hmm. I do want to circle back a little bit to something you said very early on, and that was about systemic issues. What are some of the obstacles that you face because of different systems, maybe the justice system? You can probably list, probably right off the top, several. What, what are the challenges you face from that perspective? Yeah, So I would say as an organization, we do see this firsthand. So Mm. a good example of this is we have people who will come into program and they're at a point where they're ready to transition into housing of their own Mm -hmm. and kind of move on to things. And with the housing system, there's a lot of things that set people up to fail or not be able Mm. to get into suitable housing. So Mm -hmm. an example of this is... Most of our participants have not done their taxes in years. Okay, (laughs) well, that would make sense. Sure. So lots of even low income housing companies and companies that are working Mm -hmm. with, you know, low income, vulnerable populations Mm -hmm. are still requiring people to show their proof of income, which comes from your income statement from your taxes the year before. Right. Well, most of our clients don't have that information. Right. They also are asking for previous, um, like, references from previous sure. tenants. Well, either that hasn't gone well. Yes. <laughs> and or they haven't had consistent tenancy yeah. in certain places. So there's many things even just in that system for us to assist people mm, to be able to mm-hmm. move into that. And so... And that's specifically in the vein that's supposed to be serving that population. Right. Um, So that's a real challenge. And the other one is transportation. So if we're working with people Mm -hmm. who have, you know, healthy family in rural communities or back Mm -hmm. on their band, it's really hard to figure out, well, what's that safe plan or transportation Mm -hmm. from the cities to these communities and back? There's very limited resources and you know, with the bus systems being cut a few years ago, we're also seeing that have a deep impact on individuals. And so many of these pieces are things that, you know, our clients have been dealing with for years. But Mm -hmm. even as we come along as advocates, we're seeing, oh, there is a broken piece of the system that isn't Mm -hmm. allowing Mm -hmm. even, you know, for us to assist individuals to move forward. So those are some of the things that I would say we see on a very regular basis Mm -hmm. um but for us also you know in the outreach capacity with our individuals that we're working with you know we see that lack of food security and a safe Mm -hmm. place to sleep at night Mm -hmm. and just your basic kind of needs those create real vulnerabilities for people and when we talk about survival sex 
that's mm-hmm. where we see a lot of that transpire from based on just some of those core needs that people have. Right. Do you interact with the justice system much? Um, minimally. We have okay. asked for funding and we have met with them a couple of times and, yeah, connected with individu- with a few individuals from that system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just curious if that ever becomes part of the advocacy that you do, if any of your clients are ever asked to participate in charges being pressed or that court kind of work. Yeah, I guess, um, and maybe I kind of misunderstood the question. So we are very connected with the boots on the ground individuals in RCMP and VICE who are kind of on the front lines working Mm -hmm. with individuals from this life. And so we have built some good relationship and actually done some training with mm-hmm. individuals within Wonderful. those, which is really helpful. Mm-hmm. But definitely sometimes there is at times conflict of, you know, wanting a charge laid and mm. as advocates us saying they're not ready to have that conversation yet. Sure. Um, so there has been moments where some of those things happen, but over the years we have developed a pretty good relationship and mm. have helped individuals who are on, you know, in RCMP and policing understand mm-hmm. that sometimes waiting for that mm. statement is going to be much more beneficial for you and yeah. the individual. Sure. And so there is a little bit of shift in how that looks and works, mm-hmm. but there still definitely is that underlying from our participants, that underlying I'd say fear and also, um, you know, the reality that some have been treated really poorly by Mm. justice officers Mm -hmm. in the system. So there is that underlying piece that we have to work through as well as we build and develop that relationship. Mm -hmm. Over and over, I'm hearing relationship, but and I'm also hearing advocacy, that walking with somebody who's experiencing these um, horrible circumstances and having that support person who's there with them, mm-hmm. I can only imagine what a significant difference that can make in someone's life because I just think of the trauma these people have experienced and the triggers that might happen and how a situation could blow out of proportion very quickly if you don't have somebody alongside who understands and is advocating for them. Yeah, and that's where, you know, especially in our program, that's the role that we really find that we play um, is that piece of whether it's, you know, with social services and looking to get visitations back with their kids that Mm -hmm. haven't been happening for years um, or, you know, housing or working through, you know, fines that they might have from the past, whatever that might be. Mm -hmm. We definitely play that role of advocate of standing alongside and providing sometimes even you know guidance and encouragement on mm-hmm. how to move forward with that but it is a huge piece mm-hmm. and recognizing that really it is about empowering that individual and giving them back their choice and their agency and so we don't do it for you mm-hmm. um, we're just here to stand alongside and support you mm-hmm. walking with yes that's, yeah. that's a huge part of how we interact with communities internationally at Food for the Hungry is the coming alongside and walking with, not doing for. Uh, Jolene, I can imagine somebody listening to this podcast and saying, I want to know more about Hope Restored. What does Hope Restored need? 
Tell me a little bit about your organizational structure. Uh, how are you supported? How could people become involved if they're interested? Yeah, so I would say the first step is you can check out our website. So hoperestoredcanada.org and mm -hmm. lots of information is on there and it's easily accessible that way. But, you know, we always, some of our needs are obviously financial. We are a mm -hmm. nonprofit, and so that's a big piece. So looking for whether it's capital donors or, you know, ongoing donations that way. Mm -hmm. If people are local to Saskatoon and Saskatchewan, we often are looking for donations of things like pajamas and mm -hmm. new underwear and socks and toiletry sure. items and things to provide at the house. So mm -hmm. there is that way for people to engage as well. And no matter where people are in our country, following us on social media and mm. being able to share what they're learning is so important. This is mm -hmm. still an issue that I would say is not well understood in our communities. Yes. And so being able to have those conversations and to say to, you know, our friends, our family, our colleagues, hey, mm -hmm. I listened to this thing and I learned something mm -hmm. new today. Um, those are important pieces for us to continue that conversation and to bring more awareness into our communities. So I always encourage people, that's a great way to get involved, even if, you know, financial or giving or mm -hmm. you're not in a place where you can volunteer, those kinds of things. It's it's a way that definitely impacts our communities. Mm -hmm. And along those lines of learning, I think it might be helpful if you could talk a little bit about what are some signs that we might be able to identify somebody who is being groomed or somebody who is being exploited. And then what might a person do if they, they suspect that? Yeah, so there's a long list of things, but okay. I'll just name a few. So some of the ones that I would say we more predominantly see. So one is difference or change in the affluence of an individual so whether that's mm. you know their looks um, new clothes new hair nails fancy makeup mm -hmm. maybe it's fancy jewelry or some type of thing but a change from what their means previously was to mm -hmm. what it seems to be now that can be a, a good indicator um I used to work in a youth shelter and we had a young lady who actually went AWOL. So she ran away and mm -hmm. she was gone for about two weeks and she came back. And when she came back, she had a brand name purse and a new gold chain necklace. Mm -hmm. And those were two really big red flags mm -hmm. to me to say, okay, this does not add up. Either you stole right. them and are right. you getting from somebody. There's right. only two ways you got these. Yeah, And so in the end, it did it did so happen that she was being exploited by somebody and these mm. were gifts that she was given sure. in that time. So that's definitely one that people can kind of recognize. Mm -hmm. The other piece is around the isolation. So somebody who, you know, previously had these community supports or was really connected to this person, it might not even be family, right? It could be mm -hmm. a social worker, a teacher, um, somebody else but they start to be very isolated and secluded from any of those supports mm. um, because that trafficker is coming in and isolating and making mm -hmm. themselves the sole person that they're relying on in the midst of that um another one could be that um especially for our younger youth we're mm -hmm. seeing people coming into communities 
grooming and picking them up. And so on the weekends, they're going out, they're partying, they're being sold, all these things are happening. And then they're Mm. back in schools or back in their communities during the week. But Mm. they will be very disengaged. They're going to be really tired. They're going to be not showing up as they should be in Mm. class. All those things are big shifts that would have changed for them. So those are some things, especially when we're looking at school-aged children Mm -hmm. that you can kind of begin to notice and identify. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think those are some of the main ones that I I can think about. Mm -hmm. Uh, The other one that I'll just mention is also like the movement into different communities and not necessarily knowing where they are. So if we're meeting somebody and... You know, they don't know what city they're in. They don't know what day it is. There's a lot of, um, yeah, not super aware of what's going on. Their response seems very kind of told to them. And this is what you say when you go into something. Mm -hmm. Those are other other situations that you Mm -hmm. maybe identify. But really, this is something I think the bottom line is, it's happening in all of our communities mm-hmm. in all different places. And it's not what we traditionally would have imagined where there's chains on their hands and tape over their mouth. And, right. you know, they don't have that freedom. There are people who are in our grocery stores, walking yeah. down our streets in coffee shops with us. Um, but mm. we just don't suspect because mm-hmm. the chains are a lot more, I would say, mental. Mm hmm. One other question before we wrap up our time here. You have referred to youth and to clients. Do you work strictly with women or do you work with men as well? Yeah. So in our programs at this point, we do only serve individuals who are female. Mm -hmm. And so um, we definitely have a heart and recognize that men and LGBTQ plus Mm -hmm. community members are affected by this as well. Mm -hmm. Um, But just as an organization, the starting point for us were women. And specifically, we work with women who are 18 plus. In our outreach side of things, we would also work with youth. But in the program at the house, it's 18 plus. Sure. Okay. Well, thank you. Is there anything else that comes to mind that you were hoping that we could talk about today that we haven't? No, I don't think so. I think I've said almost everything that I can think okay. of. Okay, <laughs> awesome. Why don't you leave us with your uh, website address again so people can know where to find you and then we can wrap up. Sure. Yeah, so if you're interested in learning more about Hope Restored, visit us at hoperestoredcanada.org. That's awesome. Thank you so much for being with me today, Jolene. Yeah, thank you for having me. And if you are interested and want to know what your next steps could be and you want to find out more about FH Canada and Hope Restored, start by checking out fhcanada.org resources.